Welcome to The Changemakers, the podcast from Seven Hills, where we delve into the lessons from life in the lockdown, from those who are living it, learning from it, and leading organizations through it. Now, young leaders are part of the most connected, informed, and resourceful generation in human history. Realizing the potential of that is the mission of my guests, Kate and Ella Robertson, the mother and daughter duo behind the global youth leadership forum, One Young World. It's also inspired their book, How to Make a Difference, which has been billed as the definitive guide to activism. So, action stations, action now. Kate and Ella, welcome to Changemakers. Great to have two activists in this time of COVID. And <laughs> in terms of um, kicking off, Kate, maybe a first question to you, because back in 2010, you and David Jones co-founded One Young World, but here we are in 2020. My goodness, the world has changed. When you, when you think back to when I first met you, Michael, in 2010, what we were talking about was systemic global challenges that young leaders would face, that the future would bring them. What we were talking about in 2010, the obvious example was the global financial crisis, the fear of the global impact of climate change, and global pandemic. And when I think now, over the last eight, nine years, how lightly all of us mentioned, well, it could be a global pandemic, and here we are. But nothing changed in those 10 years except to say that When there are these big challenges, the one thing you're looking for is leadership. And we know that today. Every single citizen in every country in the world has looked to their government and gone, help me, save me. What do I do now? So for me, the work of One Young World in identifying, promoting young leaders from every country in the world has never mattered more than where we are now. And I'm so sad the pandemic proves the point. Ella, I mean, pick up the story from us uh, for us in, in terms of how young people are dealing with COVID nineteen. How you see one young world country to country, I guess, in terms of the experience of young leaders. What's your sense of it? There's no question, young leaders are the front line. Um, you know, with older people having to shield, um, you know, most of the volunteers, you know, the delivery drivers, lots of the nurses, the cleaners are young people. And they've been completely left out of the media narrative and government focus, I'm afraid. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we are currently doing a survey um, and it's closing this afternoon. But at the moment, it looks like around 80% of young people are volunteering on something to do with COVID at the moment. It's extraordinary how much they've stepped up to the plate. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, I guess there has been a different narrative we've we've been sort of, you know, experiencing amongst, I guess, that the, the younger, the demographic that aren't taking it seriously because they're less likely to contract it, less likely to be sort of physically or, or socially affected by it. I'd imagine you don't see it that way, Ella. No, not at all. And I mean, there's plenty of people who aren't taking it seriously. I mean, government ministers to start. Um, you know, it, it's a clear that, you know, those, those photos of spring breakers in Miami and things made headlines around the world, but they did obscure the story of the fact that most young people are absolutely stepping up and doing what's needed in their communities. Kate, cometh the hour, cometh the leaders. Have they turned up, do you think, in, in in this crisis? They have turned up, whether it's our staff in London or whether it's the One Young World ambassadors around the world. Boy, did they turn up, including Ella herself, with an idea for how we could help those of them that have turned up. But honestly, they shame my generation. They really do. Because mm. I was going to ask that, because I mean, often One Young World is, is sort of like 
billed as a kind of Davos for the young. When, when you look at the kind of Davos generation in terms of those, that current group of Fortune 500 leaders, elected leaders, I guess the people that are today's status quo, not, not tomorrow, how, how do you rate them in the same vein? I'm clear to me that, to your point, comes the hour, comes the leader. I mean, necessity is the mother of invention. And these youngsters have gone, I'm needed now, I'm invented, here I stand. I think maybe it's living in Britain, but you keep thinking to the war generation who had Mm. to go through so much. How old were the people on the front line? Very, very young was Ella's point about, about her idea for, su- for supporting these young leaders was exactly that. Mm. These are the young ones on the front line. I mean, C- Captain Tom Moore made the point that comradeship was a major part of the generation that actually that shared experience bound him to, with others, bound everybody together in terms of that generation. Now, obviously, some people feel that's a myth, but it's definitely a very important part of the narrative that survives. Do you think comradeship is what we're seeing, Ella, in terms of this experience this time round? Absolutely. I think our communities have been hollowed out over the last couple of decades, whether it's through people becoming less religious or people working more remotely or brain drain. But this now suddenly people are being required to look down their street and pay attention in the supermarkets for the old person struggling, for the woman with the black eye, for the you know their friends who are not coping at home with children. And that's what we, we absolutely have to be doing. And I think mm. what I've certainly observed is the government economic response has been very strong in this country and as generous as any country in the world, but there are still people falling through the cracks. Um, there's a couple that I buy groceries for. There was no one to take this lady to her cancer appointments and she was too scared to take a taxi. There's, um, there was an asylum seeker who wasn't able to get the cleaning product she needed at the food bank. And you only see those sorts of problems if you're actually in the community doing the work. You can't see those from an office in London or an office in Geneva. And so I think young leaders who are on the front lines, who are then able to connect with their peers around the world through social media and platforms like One Young World, are able to have community comradeship, but also this international fellowship, which is really at the heart of what we do at One Young World. Because I suppose that's a fair point, Kate, is that, you know, this is not just a, a medical emergency, it's a social emergency, it's a it's a health and well-being emergency, it's an economic emergency. In terms of the, the style of the next gathering of One Young World, when, when those leaders do come back together again, what do you think they're going to be talking about in terms of the what comes next? What, what do you think are going to be some of the big ticket items? I think they'll do what they always do when they're with us, is they're always looking forward. They're always looking at the next challenge, the next issue. What are we going to do now? Rather than harking back to what my age group is doing or might have done or might think. And I think now we will see among them, particularly those who've come from places where they are questioning leadership, they will move forward disregarding that leadership. And you know what? They should. Mm. I mean, and we're seeing very different styles of leadership around the world, Ella. I mean, you know, you know, from authoritarian, totalitarian responses to this, we've seen curtailing of civil liberties, um, even in our own country in ways that, you know, no sort of immediate sort of generation has, has experienced. In terms of how we make sure that a crisis like this means we don't lose the best of ourselves. 
how can One Young World as a, as a, as a forum make sure it helps be part of that goal? I think in the, in the immediate urgency of the response to the crisis, we are, as, as I said, very concerned that young people are being left out of the conversation, despite the fact that they are doing much of the very important work. So we have founded the COVID-19 Young Leaders Fund, uh, which we are launching uh, in, in the coming days with the support of the Gates Foundation and United Way, the world's largest private charity, to get funds directly to the young leaders on the front line. So even in our first cohort, you've got everyone from the UK to Fiji, Cameroon, India, Malaysia. Um, so we want to make sure that we are supporting them right now in this emergency time. And then I think- what, what will the fund allow them to do? Um, what, 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 will, what will you be investing in with that fund? We are very open to what people are seeing as the need in their community. As I said, it needs eyes in the community to identify the problems. So in the UK, it's very much around the mental health of children, whereas in Fiji, um, you, the, the Pacific Islands d- depend tremendously on tourism. So that main industry has been decimated. But they're also, for example, su- uh, suffering the effects of three cyclones this year. So giving those communities some economic capability during this time, uh, which we're going to be focusing in agriculture to allow sort of self-sufficiency and some local trade is how, is how we're dealing with that. But it really does require us to know people on the ground who have the expertise, because as I say, there's no way that us in London can imagine the needs of, of those in Fiji. We need to have the real frontline workers with their local knowledge and experience. Mm. I mean, I see you both as when I think if I was to use a one word, um, one word to describe you both, I'd say a force, you know, and you wrote a brilliant book, How to Make a Difference. <laughs> and I, I guess How to Make a Difference, that kind of that guide to activism, Kate, what it's taught you in terms of I mean, I'll, I'll ask questions to you both. Kate, start with you in terms of th- that role of the activist right now. How do you make a difference? How do you play a part in something which is so enormous, so so all-encompassing? What's the lessons that you take from the book? What might you do differently if you're writing it in 2020 as opposed to the last, last couple of years? I would say from the people that we interviewed in the book, what you would say is this identification of a need the courage to go and address that need and take on every obstacle and every challenger and just get out there and go for it and persist. I think, I mean, Ella, you would have a view, but of all the people we interviewed in the book, those would be the things, this this awareness of fellow man and this identification of this is a need and I will fix this. So identify the need persist in your determination to fix it. Ella, what's, what's, what's your take out? I'd say probably two key things that are most relevant. One is action, you know, less blah, blah, more go do. We don't need people, this is not the time for just prevaricating. This is the time to really go and help people and make a difference through action. And the second is allyship. I think we always have to look for people who are being marginalised, who are being left out of the conversation. If you look at the crisis within um, the BAME communities and how COVID disproportionately impacts them here, we have to absolutely be standing up for our BAME brothers and sisters and then take that to a global scale. You know, what is happening in Indigenous communities? What is happening in refugee communities? I am appalled by the way that the disability those with disabilities are being treated. Your underlying health conditions is now an excuse to let someone die. I think we should start saying it was a disabled person instead. You know, this is not 
the way we've suddenly started talking about these about people is is horrendous. And I think when we do have a voice and a platform, we absolutely have to be strong allies with marginalized groups. And your sense, Kate, when when you hear that, when you think about the White House, when you hear when you think about Downing Street, when you think about, you know, those kind of centers of power around the world, are, are they listening? And are they critically doing anything about it? I think that there is a great big red line of difference between Downing Street and the White House. It's probably called intelligence with a small eye. I think there is a difference. I think that you do have some government leaders who are doing their very, very best in a world of total uncertainty. Do I think that messages are coming through and are correct? I think there's a lot of messiness. I think it's incredibly difficult to lead people through a time of uncertainty. But nothing changes the fact that um, Ella makes a good point. All, all people have to be taken with us. All people have to be considered. And I think a lot of governments are doing their very best. Did anybody act fast enough? No. I think the question will be, and maybe it's as the reckoning was after the Second World War, when the crisis passes, explain that you went through in this country, in the UK, an exercise in pandemic preparedness. And what happened then? I mean, and in and the in States, you had the bodies and everything set up. You disbanded and defunded. You, mm. you know, Bill Gates has been warning of this thing. Mm. I'll and, have and our thing- leaders. First job of leadership should be what? You do take care of your people. You are supposed to keep us safe. I suppose if you expand it more widely than that, you you are seeing in in very clear view how different countries around the world are dealing with this. I mean, Ella, when when you when you get the feedback from from your councillors, from from your from your membership base, in terms of kind of I guess some vignettes, highlights in terms of some of the some of the feedback you get in terms of how how their communities, how their leadership structures are dealing with it, what, what yeah. stands out? I think you, we, we're going to be having a one-year world summit in Tokyo and we work closely with, with the governor's office there. And I think she was particularly fearsome about it with the Olympics coming. You know, they were determined that Tokyo would be ready to host it, even if the rest of the world wasn't able to come. And I think in general, you know, the Far East, they, they have treated this as a coronavirus and everything they did with Test Track and Trace was off the basis of having SARS and then MERS, I suppose, as well. Whereas in the West, we, we prepared for pandemic flu and they're very different. And I think that that's really probably the main issue that's emerging in terms of the response. So for me, I think the thing that I'm mindful of is that leaders have got to be diverse in terms of, yes, who they are as people, but also their backgrounds. You know, we can't expect people with history and PPE degrees to be robust at interrogating science. You know, they just have to take the word of experts. And if we had more scientists in leadership positions, perhaps that discourse would be a bit more robust and a bit more sophisticated than, well, I heard this from Sage and therefore. And I think we, we, have, we have had a bit of a lacking as a result of a lack of diversity at the top. But you have to think, I think the point, I think one of the things that is clear, and I've heard a lot of young leaders saying this of late, one of the things that is clear is we know the impact of climate change is coming, the bad impact. We know this, yeah? So 
the issues of preparedness. If Nouriel Roubini said in 2006, the global financial crisis is going to look like this, was ignored. 2008 comes and world leaders go, nobody could have foreseen this. Nonsense. Pandemic. There have been warnings. We did start to prepare. We decided not to. We know there are going to be impacts of climate change and heads of government are supposed to prepare. There is a lesson. Prepare. In terms of, in terms of leaders, I am a fan of, I'm a big fan of Pete Buttigieg in the United States. And this gave me chills when he said it, but we have to take it seriously. COVID is a dress rehearsal for climate change. Um, and we absolutely have to learn as many lessons as we can from this. Um, and do you, but do you feel, um, I mean, I mean, a lot of people are saying that, you know, that, that actually, you know, COVID-19 in the scheme of things is, is, is a much more containable problem than, than the actual, you know, emerging menace of, of uncontrolled climate change. But I suppose the question to you both is our ability as people to learn lessons, our ability, you know, a lot of people are talking about the fact there's going to be no such thing as business as usual, things are going to change um, exponentially, that actually this is going to be the beginnings of this kind of like great enlightenment. Do you see it like that? Yes, yes, I want to see it like that. Let's put it this way. I think one of the questions, I think you remember one year world ambassador years ago, Parker Leotor, and I remember Parker coming back mm. to me in our Explorer, yeah. yeah, in 2011 and saying to me that he felt in his efforts on climate change in New York at the United Nations, he felt very strongly that what was keeping people from acting, world leaders from acting, that he had to conclude, and he was very unhappy so to do, that it was purely self-interest. So here you look at heads of government and political leaders cannot be guided by self-interest. The national interest, maybe, but not self-interest. Keeping yourself in that position of power should not be the driver, and I'm afraid mostly it is. Ella, what's your, what's your take on it? I think we understand anew why transparency is so important. And I think, if anything, we have learnt that where there is not the brightest light shone on things conspiracy theories will flourish and dangerous information will spread. And I think if we have radical transparency when it comes to climate change, combined with robust interrogation of the science, I feel confident because I genuinely do believe, and this is Jamie Oliver at One Young World, you said this, when you give the public clear and fulsome information, they do make remarkably good decisions. And we haven't had clear information on much of COVID. The information about climate change has been deliberately um, meddled with as, as a result of um, oil lobbyists as, as well as other people. And I'm hoping that people will have a new appreciation for transparency and that will give us a lot of power in the decades to come. Now, we are fast moving towards the back end of our interview, unfortunately, but I've, I want to touch on a couple of other things, if I may. I mean, this show is all about change makers, but you're my first mother and daughter change makers on the show so far. How's that dynamic worked? Let, let's let's ask let's ask Mother Kate first. I honestly, you know, if you if you try to take the mother thing out of it and you go, okay, Ella works with me. She's an employee. She's a colleague. Yeah, and I think if you're a parent employing someone, you're always having to say to yourself, if you're absolutely honest, is this good enough? And I think. When we work with one another, 
We challenge each other all the time. We argue all the time. We debate stuff all the time. But I think work-wise, we're united in our purpose, and that holds it holds it it holds everything together. Other than the fact that I think she's amazing, but that's that's another thing. <laughs> And the last point to you, I thought we were about to just jump into a sort of full-on review there, but um, <laughs> Anna, your last thought. Tell us about a quick last thought on the dynamic. It's a real privilege. Um, you know, I think Kate's a tremendously inspiring person in her own right, as thousands of Wadi World ambassadors would attest to. But I do think the closeness allows us to be very honest with each other in a way that is hard to be with your colleagues, where you know you were sensitive to ego or feelings. And I've got to say, Kate and I are not sensitive to each other's egos, that's for sure. Um, and you know, we have a lot of fun. We, uh, we, we care so deeply about the mission of One Young World and obsess about it as, as entrepreneurs do. Um, and I think the fact that we both bring so much love and care and you know, joy to work with us as a, as a duo is, is a lot for our colleagues to deal with. So God bless them. Well, that might be an appropriate point to leave it with. Uh, with lucky thoughts husbands. Of no, no, no. We will leave on lucky husbands, not poor leave, husbands. Leave, leave it there. Thank you so Thank much, you, Kate and Ella Robertson. And there we have it. And my thanks to the wonderful Kate and Ella Robertson from One Young World with a message of action now and the need to empower young peace builders. There's also a message there about leadership, activism, and what it takes to see it through in a time of trouble. I'll see you on the next Changemakers.